The following program was made possible by Ward's Lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. All right, let's see. A teacher is talking to a student and says, no, hang on. Okay, how about this? How about a student says to a teacher who's standing next to a principal, no, that's not going to work either. Ugh. Oh, hey, Dan. How's the opening sketch for the next episode coming? Maybe, maybe not as fast as it would if, you know, you used not a typewriter. Where did you get that? The old jail museum? Uh, you know, I, I just thought it would inspire me to come up with something about back to school. I just... Ooh, do you even want to touch that one? No, I thought I did. You know, offer some levity during a, a very tense time for all the parties involved with back to school and core at the lakes. But, but it just feels like no matter what I come up with, someone is going to be upset. Like if I said, isn't being fair and that they should then that's just going to upset the poop. I mean, even the word cucumber can't make this funny for everyone. And cucumber is a funny word. Yeah, well, not as funny as... Yeah, that is a funny word. Especially when you see them in the field all over that in the end of Kawartha Lakes. <laughs> Seems like you can't win by writing a sketch about back to school this year. Unless... Yeah? Unless, what, you just beep out certain parts that you think could be upsetting to one of the parties involved. Uh, beep out certain parts? What's funny about that? Gee, speaking of this whole back-to-school issue, that, that sounds like an idea that would have come from... You know, I can walk around this town confidently and not a lot of people do know who I am. I'm not the lead singer. So unless I, you wear your hat. Not unless I wear this <laughs> hat, but that's kind of what I like. I like to kind of help out and support and... Uh, Shine the light on someone else. So, yeah. Who is that mystery man secretively walking the streets of Kawartha Lakes when he's not helping produce the upcoming mega concert featuring homegrown talent like James Barker and Heaps? Well, I'll give you a hint. His name rhymes with Daryl James. Yeah, I'm not good at this whole mystery thing. Yes, that Daryl James, bass player with the Strombellas. He and Robin James sit down to talk about why they got behind the Academy Theatre fundraiser at the drive-in, but also why they chose to make Lindsay home for them and their children. That's our feature interview. I open up a big, unique cardboard box of Kawartha Lake's goodness, and you can too, for about 100 bucks. Jason Ward of Ward's Lawyers tells us what wrongful dismissal really means and why you may be hearing those words a lot more during the pandemic. If you've got the paperwork, you can now legally hunt cormorant. But would you want to? Matthew Robbins offers some insight into the unsightly bird that's now cool to cull. All this and so much more in episode 15 of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. My name is Denny Gringell, and I host this audio shindig. Shindig. I'll have to check with Lindsay Bowen about that word, if in fact it is a word. Lindsay Bowen is with Outreach and Community Engagement with Kawartha Public Library, but she's also the star of a regular feature, even if she wouldn't refer to herself as a star, because she's humble, which is a good word, humble, yeah. So let's say Lindsay helps us out with a regular feature we call... Well-defined. According to the dictionary, I think that means... Well-defined. well I'm actually outside the Lindsay branch of the public library. Not inside, but outside, and so close. And I, if, if I'm not mistaken, I could 
go in right now. Couldn't I? I'm here with Lindsay Bowen. Could I, could I go in right you now? You sure can. As of yesterday, you were allowed to go into the building in Lindsay and Fenland Falls. Okay, so what's that been like? I know you've only had a, a little bit of time to absorb that, but I see the big smile on your face. It was great to have everyone back yesterday. It went really smoothly. I think everyone's happy with how clear the signage is and, uh, of course, browsing books. You can't beat that, and everyone's really happy with it. What should we be prepared for when we go in? Because obviously the experience is going to be a little bit different. It's a little bit different, yeah. So um, something to be aware of is there could be some different wait times, so we can only let a certain amount of people into the building. Uh, so just be prepared to wait, watch for signage. Uh, if you're browsing books you don't want, we put them on uh, different shelves so that we can quarantine or wipe them off before they go back into circulation. Uh, just being really aware of uh, being safe, wearing masks, uh, just like you're going into a grocery store. Well, I always think of the library as being sort of synonymous with patience and quiet and calm and kindness. <laughs> so it's the perfect situation for it. Okay, so what do you have for us, uh, Lindsay, in terms of our well-defined item for today? Well, of course, uh, again, with uh, these times, we know that these are exigent times. Exigent? Exigent. Can you so spell that too, or can I take uh, a crack at it? Oh, you go, you spell it. Okay, E-X-I-G-E-N-T. Oh, you're too good, Denise. Come yeah, on. Yeah, I can okay. spell it, but I don't know the definition. <laughs> uh, it I just saw. means that they're pressing times. They're demanding times. So we know that we need to make, uh, pay attention and make sure that everyone uh, feels safe and happy and uh, can enjoy the library. So we took a lot of time to uh, pay attention to the details. So now that everyone's allowed to come back, um, it's a safe environment. People over here, we are living in exigent times, but uh, come on in. You can now come into the library. Exactly. 10 till 3, uh, Monday through Saturday in Lindsay and Fenland Falls. My name is Monique Malosh from Ward's Lawyers and Lindsay, your official sponsor of the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. If you're listening to this on our drop day, and you are right because you listen to it the moment it becomes available, today is the official start of the Cormorant Hunt in Ontario. Cormorants, if you don't know, well, they're not exactly lovely birds. Cottagers say their droppings create toxic, corrosive, acidic goo everywhere. Fishers say the cormorant is upsetting the fish populations by, well, taking too many fish. So the Ministry of Natural Resources in Ontario, saying the bird is abundant, too abundant at this time, has deemed it worthy of a cull. A daily bag limit of 15 birds if you have a small game license. That's effective from September 15 to December 31. So what does this all mean? And it's important to point out that some environmental groups see this cull as, well, unnecessary. Matthew Robbins has a degree in environmental resource studies from Trent University and has worked in fish and wildlife science. He's also an avid hunter and angler and an occasional contributor to the Advocate magazine. I asked Matthew what his reaction to this cull was, in a word, complicated. I guess right off the bat, I knew for a fact that cormorants weren't really considered a, an edible bird so that was something that struck me as a bit odd for sure generally fish eating birds are not considered the best table fare from what i've gathered it's really complicated i think that it's important to keep in mind that yes um, on the one hand people have a tendency to look for scapegoats and want to point a finger at something what kind of people do that well everybody does hunters definitely have a back we have a history of um, blaming things on predators, for sure. And I think that mindset's kind of going by the wayside a little bit, slowly. Give me an example when you say that, uh, of, of hunters blaming predators. Like, uh, you're well, coyotes and things? Coyotes, wolves is a classic example. In a lot of places, especially in the U.S., they were virtually exterminated. 
But the fact that we have done that doesn't actually mean that management of a predator or any species is, is inherently a bad thing. In some circumstances, it can be really beneficial, right? So I can see why a person would look at this and think, we're kind of blaming everything on this bird when clearly it, it's not causing all of, you know, the fisheries crashes, for instance, which is a very complicated issue. It goes back to huge history of commercial fishing, eutrophication, invasive species, climate change. Um, it's not necessarily fair or accurate to blame all these issues on the cormorant, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't have some influence. We know that for a fact that they're a voracious predator. They're very effective in a lot of studies. They've been the most or one of the most effective birds of, of their kind in terms of, uh, of how much fish they eat. But in the grand scheme of the Great Lakes ecosystems, they're, they're really not considered to be a huge threat um, in, in a larger scale. What we have seen... Uh, via a number of studies that are you know, available to read, is that on a local scale they can have a significant effect. They can, you know, they can deplete uh, fisheries resources on a smaller scale. So uh, you know, they have colonies, and around that colony they create sort of a, a, a forage fish depletion zone, and then they kind of expand it. And that can be relevant to one particular set of islands or a bay or, you know, a, a localized region. Mm -hmm. And in a place like the Kawartha Lakes, that's kind of significant because we have small systems. Our water bodies are not like the Great Lakes. They're very small. They're very shallow. Um, so it, there's definitely potential there for some effect, at least in my view. But I don't think it's based on what I found. It's, it's not really correct to... Re, um, act like they're the boogeyman and they're really this gigantic threat in the in the grand scheme of things. Um, I do a little bit of waterfowl around here and that would be where I would have seen it, but really not a lot. But my understanding is that they have had uh, some effect in like Balsam Lake and Sturgeon Lake. It's going to be very difficult to measure the effect they have on fisheries. It's going to take a, probably a long time and it's, it's, it's pretty tough. One of the issues outside of the fisheries is that their guano, their poop, is really volatile, and they can kill entire islands. It kills trees. It kills uh, vegetation. So, again, that is a very localized issue. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a huge problem. But in a small area like where we are, a couple of completely dead islands is kind of a big deal. Now, having done some research and had a chance to uh, to absorb all of this, how do you feel about it now that uh, that there is this... He raised your eyebrows right there. That they are allowing this hunt as a hunter and as someone who studied this. What what are your feelings now about it? I'm kind of in the middle, to tell you the truth. I don't feel passionately about either side. It's it really comes down to what we want to do and how we want to manage. Um, people think that because this is categorically a native species, it can't do bad things. But it existed. It, it's a native species in Ontario because. It historically existed in Western Ontario. It hasn't Almost. been here for 300 years, though. It's been in our region for less than 100 years. A region Late meaning Quartz Lakes in, in Eastern Ontario. Uh, a, like uh, Lake Ontario area. Mm -hmm. uh, late 1930s. In an ecological timeline, it's very little time for an ecosystem to adapt, which means it has serious potential to play the role of an invasive species, even if it's not technically an invasive. So that's something to keep in mind. I think people look at it as being, because it's a native species, it can't do any harm. And that's not necessarily accurate. So 
it's really just a question of what we how we want to manage people sort of have a a dislocated relationship with the fact that we manage wildlife uh in in areas that humans exist we do actively whether you're aware of it or not you're benefiting from wildlife management on a fairly regular basis so i think that if people sort of had a better understanding of that reality they might be a little more comfortable with the idea that we do a little bit of management in this circumstance at the same time though i can understand reservations about this situation because there are still questions and um I can definitely, you know, understand that somebody might feel it's problematic that people probably won't be eating them, or a lot of people won't be eating them at least. For that reason, I probably won't be hunting them. Yeah, it's just complicated. I I, I wouldn't get upset with a person with that position, and, and I wouldn't get upset with a person with the opposite position. I think it's just a little more complicated than people like to think it is at the moment. Jamie Morris with The Advocate Magazine. Many of us share the sentiment of Woody Allen, who famously said, I'm not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Not true of Allison Lynch, the subject of my next Friends and Neighbors column. Every day, Allison deals with deaths and helps others deal with death. At 24, Allison is funeral home director, pre arrangement specialist, and manager of Stoddard Funeral Home in Lindsay. In the column, you'll find out what prompted her career choice about the challenges and rewards of life in a funeral home. That's in the October issue of the Advocate magazine, available at Giant Tiger in Lindsay and Cajun Chicken in Bob Cajun. We are 100% local media, which includes the Advocate magazine, the Advocate online, lindsayadvocate.ca, and what you're listening to right now, the Advocate podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. Subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, which means we will arrive in your phone machine automatically twice a month. How cool is that? All free, courtesy of our sponsor, Ward's Lawyers, your complete legal team. Learn more at wardlegal.ca. And speaking of local, you can get a box full of local, as in local food and drinks and goods and all kinds of cool stuff. The Kawartha box is assembled by the people at the Mariposa Mill on Highway 7, just east of Oakwood. That's where we got our box for about 100 bucks. And we spoke to the mill's Ellen Vanderberg, who told me what assembling these boxes has taught her. I've literally come across like these these real gems down roads that I didn't even know existed. I do usually have a van full of children. We do our run, we get them food, and then we kind of go for our little um, exploration. So this is a bit of a surprise box for us then, right? I don't know what's in here, Nance. You don't know what's in here either. No, I'm very excited. (laughs) (laughs) So when you're assembling these boxes, I'm just building up our anticipation here. When you're assembling these boxes, uh, they're very random. You're not making them custom for each individual. So how do you decide what's going to go in and and how much of it? Uh, That's one of the most kind of time-consuming parts because it's, you know, we're trying to... We're trying to make things applicable for the largest group of individuals. What are some things you would enjoy getting? So, you know, we've been able to put in like, you know, fresh, freshly baked products, you know, a bit of like farm produce, handmade candles, like those kind of novelty things that you ne- you won't necessarily go out and purchase yourself. But if you had it all together in a box, that's just kind of like a, a nice little treat. 
we're trying to use different businesses every month so that adds a whole different you know complication to it what have you learned ellen just uh, about your your home area and the other businesses out here Cortha lakes peterborough and area has so much to offer there's really you know i'm not going to say there's no excuse to go anywhere else because sometimes it's nice to go out of our kind of borders but you can probably find what you're looking for from a small business within Cortha lakes okay well you know where my eyes are going to fix on the the coaster caramel corn yep oh, okay wow. i'm oh. done and now there's that uh garlic uh, garlic explosion vinaigrette and marinade. Ooh, and this is beautiful. Yeah. Look at this, Denise. It's, can it's candy floss in a container. So okay. this box, we wanted to bring a little bit of the fair um, kind of to your door. So I am a personal lover of the fair. Of course. <laughs> and so I'm, I am disappointed it's not here, but this excites me that we can kind of bring a few little taste, a little taste of the fair home. Oh look, it's a giant oh, yep, that's my favorite. <laughs> candy apple? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mikhail's uh, bagels. Yay! And oh, these are great. These uh, beeswax wraps yeah. and from Burns. Candy um, candy shish kebab with yep. like all kinds of gummies. And then lastly, oh, uh, uh, mixes for a spinach dip. Yeah, so and, this lady's uh, out of Woodville, so it should just ah. be, you add kind of sour cream and mix it up and it's ready to go. What's it like for you to, to witness us opening this box up and unearthing all of this stuff from Kawartha Lakes? For, for you to witness and know that you put this together. It's really rewarding to see, you know, people like yourself really enjoy all the effort that went into it because this is you know kind of strategic on what's in the box you know we're trying to promote these businesses as well so it's yeah it's rewarding all right i'm going to take the candy corn and uh, drive that on the way home this is episode 15 of the advocate podcast sue them for wrongful dismissal dude how often have you heard that statement at the pub when you're with a group of friends, one who's just been given their walking papers from their now former boss, or maybe you're the one who said it. But do any of us really know what wrongful dismissal means? How it can be applied? When? What legal rights and responsibilities does the employee and the employer have? Add in a workplace where the pandemic has created less work or a compromised workplace, Really understanding what wrongful dismissal is can, pardon the pun, take a lot of work. Luckily, this program benefits from Wards of Wisdom. More than just words of wisdom, it's wards of wisdom. Jason Ward is co-owner of Ward's Lawyers, sitting many feet across from me here in their boardroom on Kent Street in Lindsay. Jason, thanks so much for helping us out with this. Happy to be here. Okay. How often have you had those people contact you with that claim that I want to sue for wrongful dismissal? How, how popular is that? Uh, in the last three months, I probably have tenfold the amount of business that I had prior to COVID, specifically on the issue of employment during COVID. There's a lot of people who A, are nervous to go back to work, B, who legitimately are being told by their employer they don't have the capacity to bring you back to work, and then generally people are entirely uncertain about what their rights uh, and obligations are in the workplace. There is some level of abuse out there by some employers in terms of taking advantage of getting rid of employees as a result of COVID, uh, particularly advanced age employees. So I'm seeing people between the ages of 58 to 65 
who there's an uptick in terminations of these people during COVID and that, that raises a red flag or an alarm for me right away. Generally speaking, both sides are working very well together, but there is the odd case or the rare case of an employer who may be trying to take advantage of the circumstances. Okay, in simple terms then, in as simple terms as you can make it, what constitutes wrongful dismissal? Because as I mentioned in my introduction, that's a, that's a term that's bandied out all the time. Sure, let me give you an example, which is probably the easiest way. I have an employee who's worked for me for 10 years, uh, he is a legal clerk in my office. I want to terminate that employee. If I don't have cause to terminate that employee, in other words, the employee has done something so fundamentally wrong, I'm inherently entitled as an employer to terminate them without giving them any severance. Can you give me an example of what's inherently wrong? Stealing money. If I catch an employee stealing money out of the company till, that's probably cause for termination. If I have an employee who breached the harassment code, who's acting inappropriately towards their employees. There may be grounds for termination there. Lying to your employer on, on important issues, non-trivial important issues, that can be cause for termination. In Ontario, it's very hard to establish cause. But back to my example, if I go out, if I walk out of my office and go to my clerk and say you're fired, my duty at law, if I don't have cause to terminate her, is to give her pay in lieu of notice. How much pay and how much notice? The minimum in Ontario is a maximum of eight weeks under the Employment Standards Act. So one week per year of service. So I have to do that statutorily, whether I like it or not as an employer. Now here's the rub. When you sue for wrongful dismissal, judges give you more. Judges can give you, on average, about one month per year of service. So much more than the Ontario minimum under the legislation. And that's why people sue for wrongful termination. So for my example, if my employee was with me for 10 years, in theory, if I go up, go out and abruptly terminate that employee, I have to give that person 10 months advance notice that I'll be terminating her. During that period, you can go out and try to find other work. I'll give you some time off to do job interviews if you wish. Be reasonable, be reasonable, be reasonable. And at the 10, at the 10 month mark, she's done and I owe her no severance because instead of paying her pay in lieu of notice, I literally gave it to her. If I do it abruptly and say, grab your things, please exit, Instead of giving her the advance notice, I didn't do that. I did it abruptly. So I've got to pay her the equivalent of what that advance notice should have been. And I guess it comes down to the employer, whether or not that employer wants the person hanging around for, for that time or well, if they right. want them out of the building. I, I, might, I might say you're terminated and here's a severance package that I'm offering you because I don't want you to be around for 10 months. And that probably is the more likely scenario, I'm guessing, right? Uh, I encourage both with my clients because when you do uh, a 10-month working notice uh, arrangement, then you get some value for your money as an employer. Most people won't sabotage an employer's business. Most people are good people. When they're told they're going to be terminated in 10 months, most won't you know, sell company secrets or do things to cause the employer big problems. Uh, there, there is incidents of that, people who do that. Um, but don't forget, during the period where I put her on notice, I can fire her at any time as well. So if I find out she sabotaged me because she's vindictive about being terminated or he's vindictive, I can terminate for cause right then and there during that working notice period. But if I understand this right, and I think this is where people often get muddy is, well, I, was, I wasn't given a reason. Does the employer have to give a reason if they've filled in all of those blanks said, here's, here's a big whack of cash, so to speak. Uh, I don't owe you a reason. Unless I'm terminating you for cause, in which case I have a duty to articulate to you what the cause is, I don't need a reason to fire you. So it may be that I don't like the color of your shirt. Uh, I can internally and quietly fire you for that reason, provided I pay you 
the appropriate pay in lieu of notice. Often it's personality conflict, right? Uh, conflicts between co-employees. Not enough for cause. You don't have enough to terminate somebody for no severance because there's been acrimony in the workplace amongst employees. But you have a personality conflict. Uh, somebody doesn't play well in the sandbox with others. I can terminate and provided I give pay in lieu of notice or my actual notice, I'm good. Let's go with another example to illustrate it. So let's suppose someone comes to see me. They've, there's 58 years of, old, of age. They've been employed for 25 years. And they get a letter from their employer that says, due to the pandemic, our operations have, have uh, reduced or we can't, we can't bring you back. We don't have the capacity to bring you back anymore. That's a termination. That's not a layoff. That's you're being told you're being terminated. The fact that it's an economic downturn because of the pandemic is irrelevant to your employment obligations, you're still entitled to pay in lieu of notice. That client who comes to you and says, I believe I have a case for wrongful dismissal, when you're looking at all the elements on the table, when would you say there's not enough here, don't pursue this? Well, when you, when you do this long enough, you get a real good spidey sense about whether there's cause for termination or not. It's a case-by-case -case analysis. Sometimes it's a bit of a moving dartboard. And you're dealing with a lot of emotions too. That and you're person dealing who with feels a lot of slighted. And yeah, I mean, you've got a person that... You know, she, she may be, uh, you know, married with kids in university. She's got tuition payments to make. She's got a mortgage to make. And here she is being told by an employer after 25 years, sorry, we can't bring it back because of COVID. Certain rights get uh, triggered if an employer decides to approach things that way. Employers who do that likely will face the, you know, the, the, the barrel they'll be facing will be a wrongful termination one. My thanks to Jason Ward of Ward's Lawyers for explaining the real meaning of wrongful dismissal and, and how it's playing out during the pandemic. We'll explore more on this topic with Jason in an upcoming episode of The Advocate Podcast. This is episode 15 of The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes, brought to you by Ward's Lawyers. For all your legal needs, find them at wardlegal.ca. Well, they're coming home. Musicians who made their start in Kawartha Lakes are, as I speak, en route, in some cases crossing borders and self-isolating, headed back here for what will surely be two historic concerts at the Lindsay Drive-In September 30th and October 1st, all in support of the Academy Theatre of Lindsay. Aptly named Home Again, the lineup's headliner is James Barker, coming in all the way from Nashville as well as many other headline acts in their own right on the roster. You can see the full roster at academytheater.ca. Now, some of the acts performing are still based here in Kawartha Lakes, like Daryl James, bass player with the Strumbellas. Daryl and Robin James, in fact, are part of the team that's producing Home Again. I met with Daryl, a born and raised local boy, and Robin, who grew up in the Ottawa area, to discuss why they're coming to the Academy's aid and why they chose to make Lindsay their home. Who would have thought I'd be hoping to get back now? Who would have thought I'd be hoping to get back now? The band had just started taking off yeah. and Ivy, which is our second child, um, was about to be born and we, our landlord passed, we had to find a new place to live and we thought, you know what, let's just come back to Lindsay for a year Darryl, while Daryl tours, I'm on that leave, I have friends here and then, you know, you come back to Lindsay and you realize very quickly that it's a very good quality of life and, and every day I still go back to that time What is it about 
about the area that that allowed you to think that yeah I can still you know excel at my art and not have to leave you know Corth Lakes that's a good question like I think for me it, that didn't come right away I think when I first came back there was fear that you know what what are we going to do here how are we going to adjust and um, I, you know, I think in many, over many years, I was like, I'll never move back to Lindsay. I'll never go back to Lindsay. But once I got here and I kind of got submersed again in the culture and I got to hang out with people that I knew when I was younger. Did you see it differently than when in your youth? Absolutely. Once you had kids and once I started to, you know, you know, get some property around town and go back to the theater and go back to these things, I started to realize, I'm like, wow, we have a lot here that maybe I didn't appreciate when I was younger. And being able to work from a home studio and the way the band started working as we got more success we started sending ideas over the computer and we all had kind of pro tools and um all oh, here's my bass part and here's this part and here's that part and here's how things started to evolve so as technology changed it also allowed me to to work here and that's also created opportunities where i have a side project where I write songs and Simon and I write songs and my brother looked out to the city and he smiled we walked in the night past you know the longer I live here the more I can see the um this just this this uniqueness of living in a place like Lindsay which I don't even know if every small town is like this but to feel like um you know you're part of something there's these bonds that form. So I can see how bands form together. I can see how people connect over over music or guitar or whatever that might be because this place allows you to do that. It's small enough to be able to create really strong connections, but not too small that you know everything and everybody. Take the long road, hallelujah. Well, I don't want to let him know that I'm okay. As a kid, I saw a lot of performances in in the audience, and I remember the first one was uh, Crash Test Dummies opening for the Northern Pikes, and I sat like in the front row, and I still can vividly remember that show, like just kind of changing my life as far as music and just being like, like this is incredible, the energy in this room, just everything about that stage and that performance and that vibe was just like I have to you know be part of music and the early things of music for me was just like I was always been an avid listener I've always been into you know the Beatles or the Stones and then I got into my hip-hop phase and I kind of got out of that and went into the Canadian indie music scene with like Our Lady Peace and uh and then have evolved uh that way so the theater for me has kind of been a lot later in life that I've started to really start to really appreciate and um you know, that was, you know, the opportunities um, we got in the band to come back and play the Academy. It's kind of like playing, like, you know, the grand stage in your community. Like, there's, like, no other place to play. It's like, that's the Mecca. That's what you want to achieve. I climbed a mountain and never came back. I will not quit and I always fight back. From this moment for all my life, what could I say? I do remember when Spirit started to take off in 2016. Uh, we came back to play three sold-out shows at the Academy, and uh, those three shows were, you know, 
by far three highlights for me. Like every show had so much energy. It was from, you know, two years old to 70 years old. The place was just beaming. Um, And it's just a thing I'll never forget. And every every day I walk into that building afterwards, it just, it it brings back memories for me. Tom Culver, vice chair of the Academy and also very prominent um, in the community with the Academy Theatre, he actually approached me and asked if I would be interested in coming onto the board and needed someone with sort of brand and marketing skills. And at first, I, you know, I wasn't really sure if that was something that I... Why not? Why weren't you sure? I, I haven't been used to doing anything in a, with a small community theatre like that. In, in many ways, a lot of the brands I've worked on are these big global brands. I've worked in international business and international marketing. It felt very new to me, and it was, in some ways, I just wasn't sure. I didn't have a lot of experience in marketing the arts, necessarily. I agreed to do it because the people on the board seemed wonderful to work with, and they came with a lot of experience that I was very surprised about. I was surprised how many people on the board actually had some incredible skills, and same thing, had gone on, got, had, had successful careers, and this is what they were doing, you know, whether after they retired or in their spare time. I started to go to meetings and as we started to um, things started to evolve I realized that this actually I think I could bring a lot to the theater and so I really started to enjoy it this is where I feel most proud because this is where I feel like you know maybe I I really can contribute a lot it's a very special place the more you learn about the theater and the more you go to see shows it is a very special place and I feel very fortunate that we have that in this town but I keep hoping for that the streets are filled with demons Lord that's never gonna change but I still wanna be with everyone. I wasn't involved in the arts the same way other. I'm very much late in life. Um, and that's also why I'm coming back to help the Academy because touring Canada all the way from uh, Yellowknife to you know Vancouver to any small town in between, you see the importance of a theater in your community. You see the importance of what that, what value that brings economically and socially and culturally to a community. And I saw it at all of these communities within the U.S., Europe, Canada. And I want, I want that to stay here. I don't want to lose it. They look the same, but I got nowhere left to run. I know there's something for you out there. For all the romance of the Academy Theatre, it, it, it has been fraught with, let's say, challenges mm-hmm. year in, year out. What do you tell that person? As someone who's, you know, fairly new to the community, what do you tell them to try and convince them that, no, this is, this, this is important? Yeah, well, I don't come with the um, background of, you know, all of the history necessarily of it. That's people maybe who have been here a lot longer. Have. Well, maybe that's a good thing. And maybe that's a good thing. But um, what I would say is that I think it hasn't quite gotten a fair chance yet. I think there's been a lot of things and bumps along the way and a lot and it's really run by volunteers, right? It's really run by people that are just trying to help. And I think that anybody who goes and watches a show there or spends any time there or even gets to be involved with anyone who's sort of ha- any young person that's had their opportunities to be on the stage and has seen what that's done for them in life, I think would realize how important that is to have something like that in the community. And also, many communities don't have that. This is like an anchor to the community. If we lost the Academy Theatre, I think that we would actually see a significant change in the businesses, I think in the community and the culture. I really feel that it hasn't gotten its chance and I'm hoping that once 
you know, we get through COVID, that it gets that opportunity. I'm all dressed for a party. Man, I'd like to go. The streets are filled with echoes. You know, if you look at this driving concert that we've put together, uh, and I'm kind of, you know, heading up the artist side of it. You talk to every one of these artists that are now internationally successful. Um, these are all people that ha got their feet wet at the Academy Theatre. Like, we can only put on this show, really, because all, we went to these artists originally, and there was hands down no question that they were going to support the Academy Because theater. of their relationship. Because of it. their relationship growing up with this theatre. And that's what supporting this theater has done over the last 20 or 30 years by it being here you have now internationally successful artists that are just willing to come back like james barker's driving from nashville tomorrow to isolate for two weeks i think the general goal for anyone that gets involved with that theater is to keep it in place because of the importance that it provides and we are literally seeing it at this driving concert we are seeing the success of that theater because we can bring back you know, 15 artists that have had international success and won't even blink an eye at performing to save this theater. I just wanna be like that. How itchy are you to get on stage and, and, and perform? Oh, I, I can't wait. Like, it's, it's weird. Like, I've spent the last 10 years, like, on a stage, it feels like, every weekend. Like, I think this was the first summer in 10 years that I didn't play, like, festivals or was kind of running around um, trying to manage family and life and band. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think the energy at the concert is going to be through the roof just because no one's been doing, you know. Been, That's a figurative word because, you know, there's no roof. There's the no driving. roof. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it's it's just going to be so exciting uh, just to see all of these artists that, you know, were groomed at the theater now supporting it trying to save it i just think really the energy is going to be so amazing and just to be up on stage again is i don't know it's going to be hard to contain myself to be honest home sweet home home sweet home she means everything to me and i will keep her dry and warm well, i met her at a bar outside the city we were young enough to
the building, the Academy Theater, were a, a living, breathing being, what would you tell it right now? We got your back. We're yeah. working on it. Just be patient. We got your back. How fitting is that song, right? Home Sweet Home by the Strumbellas with Daryl James on bass. You also heard the Strumbellas' Windsurfers, The Long Road, Wars, In This Life, my favorite, and The Party. But I'm sending out Home Sweet Home to all the performers who will be part of Home Again. The mega concert fundraiser at the Lindsay Drive-In in support of the Academy Theater. Two chances to catch that concert, September 30 and October 1. Features James Barker, Heaps, Luis, Segura... Jeremy Drury, Sophia Mackey, the list goes on. Daryl, of course, is part of that lineup. Now, weren't he and Robin great waxing about their love of their local Academy Theater and our community? The Advocate Podcast Stories from Kawartha Lakes is on Twitter and Instagram. Tell us what you think of the program. We love hearing from you. Our theme and musical bridges written and performed by the very talented Gerald Van Haltren. Big thanks to the people who make this show possible. Ward's Lawyers. Jason and Chris Award and their team offer a wide range of legal services. Learn more at wardlegal.ca. The Advocate Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Denny Gringel, with some help from Nancy Payne. Wear that mask, eh? And remember, two meters is longer than a hockey stick. Talk to you in about two weeks. Two meters is longer than a hockey stick.